0: My mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to
1: get. All right. All right. Welcome back to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. This is where we talk about creating financial security by monetizing those things that you already know or do. Today, as you can see, we sat down with Forrest Gump. Okay. Actually, it was really Steve Weber who was for 15 years. He was the spokesperson for Bubba Gump Shrimp. So how about you? Can you make money with who you look like? I asked Steve who I looked like and he said, I look like Bart. So I guess I can't make money there. Before we get in too far to this, we got to do something and you know what it is. So let's do this. Are you prepared for
2: what happens when what happens happens? Life happens when you least expect it. Create financial security. Monetize what you already know. Welcome to Monetize Your Mindset. Monetize Your Mindset. Identify your ideal side hustle so that you have the resources to deal with whatever happens when what happens, happens. It's time to monetize your mindset. Here's your host,
1: Bart Merrill. All right, all right, okay, so we we sat down with Steve Weber, who was the Bubba Gump Shrimp. Mascot. Well, I shouldn't say mascot. Spokesperson. That's what I was looking for. Can you imagine interacting with thousands of people a day who thought you were Forrest Gump? Wanted to make fun of you or talk to you or I don't know. Anyway, we talked with Steve Weber. He did this for 15 years and it's, a you know, think about it. Do you look like someone that maybe you could impersonate and make money doing it? I mean, it's a thought I've never really thought of, but there are impersonators out there. There's listen to the podcast here and you'll learn more about that. But hey, first, before we do that, I want to talk to you about TaxBot. When I got married, my wife came up with these boxes of receipts and asked me, can't I throw these away yet? And my answer was, well, are they seven years old? And she's like, no, then we can't throw them away. So we had to keep them in storage. You know, they say happy wife, happy life. TaxBot has relieved me of keeping my receipts. I can take a picture, store it on the cloud, and the receipts go into the garbage. It also tracks my mileage for me. And they got a thing coming out here in the next month or so that is where you can speak into a mic that's like a it's like a garage door opener that, that sits on your visor. It connects with your phone. And as soon as you start moving you can tell you can tell the your phone what your trip is about so that it can track your mileage for you and hopefully keep you out of trouble with the IRS. Because mileage is the number one thing where the IRS gets you whenever they audit you. And if you can keep good records on your mileage your audit's gonna be over quickly. TaxBot has helped many people have their audits end in a couple hours versus a couple of days or a couple of weeks. So I recommend TaxBot to anybody who's in business, anybody who's doing a side hustle, because if you're doing a side hustle, side business, you want to take advantage of the deductions that are allowed to you by the RRS, and TaxBot helps you keep good records so that if you are ever audited, Your audit is easy, we hope. (laughs) All right, so if you're interested in TaxBot, if you think it's something for you, go to bartmerrill.com, click on the resource tab, scroll down to TaxBot, and boom, learn more. If it's something you think you you could benefit from, I am an affiliate of that company, and so I would appreciate your support. All right, let's get on with our interview with Steve Weber. All right. Welcome, Steve, to the Monetize Your Mindset podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Bart. Great to be here. Uh, honored to be your, your, your guest today. Steve, you have a pretty interesting likeness to somebody. Who, who would that be?
0: That would be Mr. Tom Hanks and specifically uh, a character that he played uh, called Forrest Gump.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's pretty awesome. Why don't you take a second here and introduce yourself to my audience?
0: Yeah. So Steve Weber, I, uh, uh, was, was minding my own business when one day somebody said, Hey, you look like the guy from bosom buddies. This actually happened in 1982. And then, uh, the next thing you know, people were comparing me to to Tom Hanks. They learned who he was. Uh, the, they didn't know who he was when he was the guy from Bosom Buddies. It was his first TV sitcom back in 81, 82 timeframe. And uh, I was 22 and he was 24. And And that comparison to Tom Hanks continued on through the next decade and as he became a, a more famous movie actor. And uh, in 1994, I I was forest gump for Halloween. I thought my my one and only <laughs> wearing the costume was was that was it and instead what happened was a year and a half later the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company opened up and I had that moment and we can go into more detail in a minute but uh, I had that moment when you realize that you have to do something that you have to do and I called them up and they hired me I worked for them for for 12 or 15 years as their Forrest Gump impersonator opened 22 U.S. locations and eight internet helped the with eight international locations. And so I was just uh, the mascot and the, the character for them. And, uh, and as that wound down, I decided I would develop a a speaking business or a motivational message based on the themes from the movie Uh, that, that was a lot harder or more difficult than I would have imagined, and we can go into that, but but basically over the last, uh, you know, decade, I've been, uh, you know, really refining my message, and a year ago, I, I um, started what I'm calling the American Gumption Project, and I'm going to travel the U.S., and interview people, ordinary people living extraordinary lives. And I feel like my uh, my purpose is now to spread the message of gumption and personal responsibility. So that kind of brings us up to, to, you know, the last 30 years, but happy to talk about any one of those pieces as as you see fit.
1: I think it's amazing that you, you did what I kind of preach. You had something that came about and you turned it into a stream of income. You didn't probably grow up I don't know, maybe you did. Well, at least once the Booze and Buddies thing started, you probably focused it a little bit to try and maybe make money off it. But who would have thought as a little kid, Steve Weber said to himself, yeah, I'm going to be a Forrest Grump impersonator. Probably didn't cross your mind.
0: No, it really wasn't something that I was looking for. It just, it found me. Uh, but there are moments in your life when, you know, something shows up and it shows up in a way that you kind of can't ignore it. And I actually tried to ignore it. And in fact, during those that first ten years, uh, during the eighties and early nineties, when people would say over and over again, "Hey, do you know who you look like?" Has anyone ever said you look like Tom Hanks? That happened so many times that I. Uh, what would happen was they would ask a couple of questions, and they would always end up asking the question, have you ever thought of making any money off of it? And, and the very first time that I was asked that, uh, Bart, I thought, no, I hadn't thought about making any money off of it. And probably the 10th time that I was asked it, I hadn't thought of making money off of it. But it happened so many times, and it happened over and over again, that you finally get to the point where you you start to ask it yourself or you get tired of being asked that. And so I would I, I people would say, hey, do you know who you look like? And I'd say, Yeah, Tom Hanks. And I'm thinking about making some money off of it. I completely flipped it around, not so much because I wanted to make money off of it, but because I was tired of having the conversation. And and somehow that that saying that over and over again really did sink in. So when I heard that the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company was gonna open and this was early in 1996 and, and they were gonna open in Monterey, California and I was living in San Jose at the time. So I was only about 75 miles away. I I knew the area and I, I knew that I, I had this like moment of kind of truth where I thought, if I don't respond to this and and approach these people, i 'm going to miss this maybe one opportunity to actually make some money off of it and I had told probably a five hundred or a thousand or maybe more people that I was going to make money off of it and 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 Bart, you have that moment of truth where you go, am I going to actually act on this or am I going to forever give up the right to say, I'm going to make some money off of this because, you know, you had that moment of truth. So I did, I called them up and I got an interview and I went down and, and they hired me and you know, it's, it was a, it's a great story. It was a great run for 15 years.
1: Was it a full-time deal?
0: Uh, the first year or two, I was still working my my regular job and working on the weekends, and then uh, I just kept asking for more money, and and they liked what I was doing, and I ended up working three or four days a week, and that ended up being a very good, um, you know, a very good way to to work, and it was a full time job because you know even though I was working three and four days a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, what would happen was you know I would put so much energy out there in performing that I needed like a day or two to recover in terms of, you know, uh, you know just like being by myself and not talking to people for Monday and Tuesday. And then like you needed a day to, you know, go do your laundry and grocery shopping and kind of get back into it. So I did adopt a very different lifestyle. I had always worked Monday through Friday, type jobs. Uh, And then all of a sudden I was working on the weekend performing and, you know, this kind of opposite schedule than I had ever worked in my life. So it was really a, it was a great, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it.
1: What would your obligations be? What would you, what would your performance look like? I mean, what would you do during those times that you were on? Well,
0: there were two different things that I would do. One would be just performing at the local restaurants. Monterey and San Francisco became my home store. So those were the stores that I was working at three and four days a week. And it was typically from about noon till five or six o'clock. So it was like a, an all afternoon thing. And I would, once I was out there, I would just sit on the bench and I would interact with tourists. And these were high traffic tourist areas. So on a typical a typical certainly on the weekend days, I was meeting upwards of, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand people having interactions with them on a non-stop basis, some of them lasting twenty, thirty seconds at a time. I mean and it happened fast because there was like a line of twenty, thirty people. Like, you know, you didn't have time to, you know, interact in much way. So so I was being Forrest Gump. I was being the character. I'd ask them where they were from. I'd I'd be while I'm talking to them, I'm almost positioning them on the on the bench I'm I'm directing traffic to the person who's taken their photo getting it lined up so that they, they would do it they'd snap the picture I'd thank them they'd leave the next person would run up and sit down it was it was chaotic and and it it diver- and so anyway that was one piece of it friday and saturdays or 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 the local stores uh, performing the other part which really became the more fun part and became the part where you and I got to know each other was I would travel to a different city and there would be a grand opening coming up, and they would have an employee meeting and I ended up doing a like a ten minute stand up monologue where I would entertain the brand new hires uh, and like it was always the the grand finale where they had this company meeting for all the new people, all the different people from the corporate and the local were introduced, the the new local managers. And then they, Forrest Gump comes out at the end. And I would interrupt the president of the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Uh, of course it was planned and I'd right. show up and, and they would like wind these people up like, like a, like a an airplane with a rubber band and these people were wound up so tight. And by the time I came out there, they would explode and it would be like (laughs) pandemonium. And I would do this little monologue and, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I had to develop the monologue and it was funny because I, Initially, I tried to do different things as I went to the second location and the third location. And and people said, you didn't do that thing you did before. And, And then I realized that you had to, you know, you basically had to perform and you had to say the same lines. And if you had a good good line, you wanted to make sure you include it. So I right. developed a presentation to welcome these employees to the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company and to, to you know, invite them to be part of this, the fun that we were all having. So, so and then the other thing that happened was uh, they would always hire a PR company and there would be TV appearances and radio. So I ended up doing Oh gosh, a couple hundred TV and radio appearances over the 15 year period. So I got good at going in and performing on the camera and, and doing it and and you know got over the feeling of nervousness about performing uh, that you know someone who doesn't have that experience sometimes feels. So so at that point I felt like, gee, this is fun. I want more of it. And then that's <laughs> where I thought, well, maybe I could develop a, a motivational message and you know, do this type of work for corporations and and that sort of thing. So uh, that's a whole separate conversation. I'm happy to go into that. But but basically, those were the two things I did with Bubba Gump and basically just sit on the bench and interact with people. Or I would be doing some kind of promotional things uh, through TV and radio and, you know, presentations for, you know, groups, that sort of thing. So it was a lot of fun.
1: So, sitting on the bench dealing with people, did you have any experiences that were just kind of weird or out there?
0: yeah, you know at, at the beginning, I certainly did and i and it was funny because it took me about a year a year or two to get really good at being able to handle all that at, at the beginning, I just didn't have any idea of what I was doing and how to control it but you know very quickly you have to you know you get thrown into the frying pan you you learn and so very quickly i learned how to basically do it but the but to, to get to the point where i was really good at it actually it probably took me about 5 years uh you know you, like let's say one or two years to kind of get it to where i could control it but then right. to really uh be able to handle it in and out and and what had happened over the years is uh, i i remember i would have probably once a weekend, some kind of an interaction that just did not go the way I wanted it to go. And I was trying to control the situation. And somebody would just show up. And, and most people were easy to kind of, you know, like, like, you know, like taking candy from a baby. Most people you could ch- sort of, you know, they would just play along. But always there were people who or not always, but often there were people who just didn't play and it would set, it would kind of throw me off my game. And so then suddenly I had to learn how to control the situation and get myself calmed down because, you know, you know, you have like kind of that flight or fright adrenaline rush where things just kind of go, you know, haywire and not the way you want it to be. And then, and I remember it took me at the beginning about a half hour to calm myself down to where I was able to really have fun with the people and interacting with them. So as those like say the third year, fourth year, fifth year went along and I got better at it, I, I noticed that I could, I could bring myself back to equilibrium like in 15 minutes and then in five minutes. And, and then it got to the point where I could almost get myself right back into equilibrium immediately. And then the next level was I was able to recognize those people, see them coming and somehow like by like a jujitsu type of move, you know, get them to play nicely, even though they weren't going to play the way, you know, 99 out of hundred played. And so uh, that's when I felt like I really was a professional at it. When I could see those people coming and, And I would, and really it was better of me changing me and not changing them. But you know, you don't know that at the time when you're, you're going through it, you're just, you know, you just know that it wasn't comfortable and it needed to be done in a different way. And I, I was a slow learner in terms of being able to really, you know, it took a couple of years. And, and fortunately, they didn't happen that often. So you didn't have that much practice at dealing with them, you know, only once, you know, once a weekend or once every couple of weeks. And but, you know, anyway, so.
1: Yeah. And I've seen the videos of the, the statue people that are pretending like Mm -hmm. they're statues and you have that one person that's going to come and just push it to the limit Mm -hmm. and they end up getting decked by the statue that wasn't supposed to move.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I never did that, you know, but I did have a couple of weird interactions and you know, you're not proud of them, but you know, you just, you forgive yourself because you're doing the best you can.
1: I told you earlier that I took the first commercial bungee jump to Japan you know, you would deal with customers that come up and they just, they're just idiots. But yet, like you said, you can see them coming. And if you change your attitude and have fun with them, play with them, it goes better than if you try and fight them and get them to be serious and, and cut it out. Yeah. Or one of the things that was hard for me to get used to, I'm a, I'm a pretty hairy armed man and the little kids would come into the park. They would do like, like uh shoot, I can only think of the Japanese word, Um, field trips. They would do field trips. You know, we're talking fourth, clear down, you know, maybe even second, third graders, first graders, they'd all come in for a school field trip and they would cut, they would see me. And first of all, it's hero, hero, hero. And I'm just like, oh, not this again. I don't have to do this all day long, do I? But then it gets worse because they see your hairy arm and they, they come up and pet you like a dog. (laughs) <laughs> but then I started to have fun with it and I would either start talking English really fast to him hello you know English I'm so glad you came because I'm in Japan and I'm lost you know and just have fun with it and then start speaking perfect Japanese to him and they're like oh this guy, Jing, he speaks English you know and so I get totally what you're saying there where if you could recognize the situations that's coming fix it in your head To where everybody just enjoys it more. That's one thing people need to learn more of is that you're going to have a situation if you can recognize it and and convert it into something better.
0: When I was at the point where I I had mastered all of that, let's just say that was about year five, I then kind of went into this next phase where I, I went what do I have to do to show up to perform at my top level? And I realized I needed to be well-rested. I needed to be, so I needed to show up in a good mood, ready to perform. And, and that involved being rested, being well-nourished, uh, being uh, keeping myself hydrated, you know, keeping glasses of water and drinking, you know, throughout the day. And cause I was outdoors. And so anyway, I, you know, realized that, you know, I made it like, I mean, I took it serious as far as a job and, and showing up and performing and, and always, you know, you take a deep breath and you go, okay, here it goes. You know, and it was like, it was surreal, you know, when you started walking out into the public to, to begin that, but then, you know, very quickly, you just sort of got into the, you know, the routine of it. So it was a, it was a fun, I'm extremely grateful that the Bubba Gump, Management uh, gave me that opportunity to to work with them and perform for all that time. I had I had a lot of fun, and and one of the one thing I'll just say about the bubblegum management, there were times it wasn't very often because they were busy people doing things, but right. occasionally they'd they'd go out there and they'd watch and they would just uh, you know they would just perform, and I'd be very self conscious when they would be there, but uh, you had to pretend that they weren't there, and and it was uh, very. Uh, gratifying when you could see that they were uh, enjoying watching the people interact with me and, and all the fun that was going on. I was having fun and, and the people were having fun. And of course, that's why they, they continued to, uh, you know, they employed me for 15 years. So.
1: Right now I see Wilson in the background there. Did you ever play any other Tom Hanks stuff? Like, I don't know, anything else.
0: No, uh, well, I did uh, that thing you do. I once got hired as a speaker for uh, a that thing you do, which he was the uh, Tom Hanks was the producer of a of a of a rock and roll band and uh, kind of a fifties thing. And so anyway, uh, there was a company that had a theme, that thing we do, and it was like a team building exercise. And so they hired me to be Tom Hanks and I wore like a black, uh, well, they gave me the black turtleneck that said that thing we do that everybody was wearing those. And I just put on a blazer and, you know, I mean, I didn't have to do much of anything. I felt a little subconscious (laughs) in that, uh, or self-conscious in that, uh, role because I was I was used to being Forrest Gump and performing that way, but I wasn't necessarily used to being Tom Hanks. In, gotcha. You know, so anyway, but it was it was a fun experience, and I auditioned as a photo double for Castaway, but I did not get hired. Uh, Tom Hanks had gained a lot of weight for the uh, the the role, as far as the the part where he crashes and spends, in theory, four years on the island. But what they did was they filmed him on the island at that heavy weight. And then he, they, they suspended uh, filming for a year, he lost 50 pounds. And so he went from 220 to 170 and uh, they came back and they filmed, but I was kind of an in-between, an in-between weight. So there was another (laughs) gentleman who, uh, you know, had the, had the girth to to go to the Tahiti and, you know, be the photo double. So it would have been a fun experience. Didn't happen though did you
1: have you ever met tom hanks
0: well just that one time when i auditioned as the photo double for that so flew down they, i was flown down to la and we met in a studio and you know it was very quick i mean it was like a five minute type of thing where he showed up and there were five of us and we all you know posed next to him in front of the camera and then then that was the end of it and then they picked the person who was the right the, the best body double essentially
1: gotcha So So not, uh, not really a, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Bubba Grump shrimp guy.
0: I wanted to do that, but they told me not to say that. So, (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I got hired by Bubba Gump, I was, uh, you know, they couldn't tell me necessarily what to do, but they strongly encouraged me not to uh, reach out to him and not to, you know, you know, just, just be happy doing the job and let it live. So then I, 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 got used to that, and so our paths have not really crossed uh, over the years, and maybe someday they will. Uh, uh, Bart, how about if you get your people to contact his people, and then they can get in touch with my people, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll have that meeting. How's that? Set?
1: All right. So, it, this, just, this just popped into my head. So, how many of you are there, meaning people that look like Tom Hanks? How many of you are there out there? Are there a lot?
0: Uh, well, there were uh, there's a look-alike world, and there's a look-alike community of people who uh, perform professionally, and they actually have conferences and conventions, and so I have attended uh, some of those over the years, uh, and uh, I saw a couple of different people, but they were always people who por- portrayed multiple characters, and one of the characters they did was, uh, you know, Tom Hanks. And so I was the only one who was really, you know, just strictly doing, I, and I never considered myself a Tom Hanks look like. I always considered myself more of the, the Forrest Gump character. Uh, gotcha. Now the, 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 Bubba Gump had another Forrest Gump who, who they hired. And uh, from what I understand, he's still working for him uh, to this day. So in uh, 2011, when the ownership group changed, uh, my contract was not renewed. And, uh, but they they apparently kept him on, and he continues to do, you know, special appearances a few times a year at the different locations uh, for him. So, of course, now with COVID going on, uh, my understanding is most of the, the restaurants uh, closed for certainly several months. And so I guess they're beginning to slowly open them up, you know, one by one. But, you know, I don't know.
1: Yeah. So so who do I look like? Anybody? Uh, Bart. Uh, that's about all I got. Man, that. <laughs> man, I could have had a better career if I just looked like somebody. Okay, so let's get into a little bit about what you're doing now. You took the big leap. You left Montana. Uh, for for the audience, we Steve and I met in the NSA, which is National Speakers Association, not the National Security Administration. We weren't spies that got busted by them. But we met the NSA here in Salt Lake City, And he, like, he would dress up as Forrest Gump and come with his suitcase and everything. And that's where, and he lived in Montana. He drove a long ways to come to our chapter of the NSA. But then you decided just, what was it, six, eight months ago to pack up and leave?
0: Yeah, it was a little over a year ago, I decided. uh, But then it took me uh, about four months to complete the, you know, shutting Montana down. So uh, did you shut Montana down? (laughs) I, <laughs> for me, I did. Okay. <laughs> I should, yeah. I had a, I had a, you know, a house and a, you know, a little place that I lived and I had a bunch of stuff and, and so, uh, so, so if it's okay, I'd like to just share the, a little bit about the Montana story. I'll make that part brief and then we'll get sure. into it. Uh, but, uh, so I, I ended up going to Montana in the, uh, like 2006, seven, eight time frame. Uh, and it was a transition from California. And, and so my last couple of years working with Bubba Gump, I was kind of working on a part-time basis. And I was living part-time in California and, and Montana and going back and forth. And then 2009, end of 2008 was when I finally really ended up being there on a, you know, a full-time basis. And, um, and that was when I really developed the, the idea that I was going to be a speaker and I was still working for Bubba Gump and we, we, we you know, had a, you know, different conversations uh, about, you know, what I would be able to do and, and wouldn't do. And so we all agreed on that. And so I, but I was developing that message. And, and um, one of the things that I learned Bart was that I didn't have a message. I was an, an entertainer and I knew how to make people laugh, but I really didn't know how to stand up in front of an audience and, tell them something that was actually useful to their life uh, other than entertaining them. So, so that turned out to be a much more difficult transition than, than just becoming, uh, you know, Forrest Gump from being Steve, the uh, the guy who was working in sales at the time. So, so, but you reach a point where you go, okay, what is my message? And that was really a matter of like digging deep into what is it that I believe? and, and, opening once you start to open that can of worms it took several years to really you know come to to conclusions here i am about 49 50 years old and i you know you thought you knew what you believe but not in a way that you had actually thought about it and wrote about it and and really dug like i said dug deep so when we met uh in 2011 12 13 that time frame, I was part of the NSA and, and I really ended up getting a, a great, valuable lesson from them in that I was able to, you know, use that time and that experience to dig deep and, and go ahead and develop what my thoughts and beliefs were. And, and the, the short version of what it was, was uh, the gumption principles, the three principles of gumption, how you think, how you act and how you interact with others and taking responsibility for your thoughts, actions, interactions. And really, it was personal responsibility, uh, but I called it gumption. And then, uh, then, then three life lessons from the movie Forrest Gump. And and initially, I was talking about the the twelve life lessons from the movie Forrest Gump. But that was you know nobody could remember that. And and so right. anyway, what the three life lessons turned out to be the the feather that comes in. To your lives. And those are the opportunities that show up. And of course, the feather lands at the foot of Forrest Gump at the beginning of the movie, and he reaches down and picks it up. And, and I encourage people to, to, to see when opportunities come to you are you going to reach down and pick them up, or are you going to pass them by? You don't have to take every opportunity that comes into your life, but you do need to pick up every opportunity that you want to take advantage of. And then the chocolate box represents the choices that you make. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But I say life's like a box of chocolates. You get to choose whatever chocolate you want and you get to choose whatever life you want. And if you're familiar with the law of attraction and uh, the, the whole idea of positive thinking and, and uh, that is really what the, the choice is all about. Like you, we, we bring into our lives what we, you know, what we focus our attention on. And then finally, the third life lesson from the movie is the that represented by the Nike shoe uh, that Forrest ran across America in, and that represents the journey of life and the life chapters that we go through. And Forrest ended up, the story of Forrest Gump was nothing more than his life chapters. He was a boy, high school, uh, college, playing football, and then in the army, and then ping pong, shrimping, uh, running across America. Of course, Jenny's coming in and out of his life the whole time, and and so, um, you know, the whole idea that life is nothing but a journey and how do we learn to enjoy life in the present moment? Forrest was very good at always being present and focused That he wasn't worried about his past lives. He wasn't like, he didn't live with regret and he didn't worry too much about what was going to happen until suddenly it happened in his life. And if we could learn to be more in the present, then that's a that's a good thing. And And yeah. so Montana turned out to be, me learning to do all those things uh for myself and not necessarily being very good at doing them you know when I got there so uh so then a year ago I uh decided that my work in Montana was done and it was time to rejoin the world and uh go back out and do what I'm supposed to do and so the American Gumption Project was was launched and and the idea is that I'm going to Uh, live and work from the road for the next several years, get an RV, travel around, meet people, interview them. And the way that came about was I was realizing that all of the, listening to the news one day, I realized that, that all of the breathless hysteria that I was listening to and hearing had nothing to do with my life, the way I was living it in Montana and everybody that I met, we never talked about it, and when I went to Salt Lake City and we met and we never talked about any of that stuff that that was on the news day in and day out, and I thought, where are the good stories? Where are the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and why aren't these stories being told? And I get that you know um, you know man bites dog is the is the story, and the dog biting the man doesn't get the news but Why don't we talk and focus on good things that are happening in in our lives and in our world? And so that's that's what the American Gumption is all about. American Gumption Project is all about uh, finding those good stories and sharing good news with people. So that's what I'm intending to do.
1: Definitely something that is needed in this day and time, that's for sure. I always have that struggle of how much news. I don't want to be uninformed, but man, if you watch the news too much, man, it can just get you down.
0: It's poison. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I was yeah. a news junkie. I I I liked it, and I still keep you know tabs of it. But boy, do I kind of have a different uh, filter that allows like certain things to come in, and and pretty much everything else does not come in anymore. So.
1: And there is so much good out there that that is unreported.
0: Yeah. There's
1: so much yeah. that goes on that nobody nobody hears about. Nobody knows about.
0: Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe we can start a worldwide gumption movement and we can, we can talk about positive things and the good things and we can, uh, you know, we don't, it doesn't mean we're Pollyanna ish and we have our head in the sand and we ignore the, you know, the, the realities that things aren't perfect and things need to be improved, but Hey, let's uh, let's, let's uh, not live our life in, in constant angst and anger and turmoil. So, yeah,
1: that's what it is. I mean, there's a lot of anger out there. A lot of anger. Yeah. All right, so what is, how is this going to look? How you're you're going to get an RV go travel around the world is is Forrest Gump put to bed.
0: For the most part Forrest is now retired, but I do believe that there'll be a uh, opportunity for Forrest to come out and uh, be part of it but it'll be a small role and it won't be the primary role uh, and if you think of it as a meal it'll be uh, it'll be like that not even the dessert it'll be like the cherry on top of the uh, you know the dessert so uh, for right for the time being Forrest is retired uh, but you know the life lessons from the movie are part of the stories that I tell and part of the the relationship that I have have with the, the people that I interview. And, and the one thing that has happened, of course, this has been a, a, a changing year, is um, I have virtually launched the project. And so I'm doing a Monday through Friday uh, show, one hour a day, uh, most days with a guest. And it's called the American Gumption Morning Show. And I have aligned with a, 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 a channel, a spirituality gone wild. It's It's a website, but there's other hosts, and we're a broadcast group, and we're we're actually, you know, sending it out there through the the mediums of uh, Facebook Lives and YouTube channels, and and so um, I've learned a whole new lesson in terms of how do you, uh, how do you uh, broadcast yourself? And and so anyway, it's, uh, it's been great. And so it's kind of a warm up. In some ways, it's like the warm up, but in some ways, it's the foundation of, of the project, because it's happening daily, I intend to keep this going. And, and then supplement it with more of a video interaction uh and i've realized that that'll need to be a produced video so i'll i'll need to partner with some kind of a broadcast or or production team uh and make it happen because all of the the filming and the editing uh, are all things that i've done and you know but but it's a lot of work and so if you're going to be if you're going to be uh you know focused on interacting with the people and writing the story, you know, obviously I'll need help to make all the other things happen. So, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, but so back to monetize your, your mindset, I've had to monetize my mindset in terms of how this can all work. And I, I was very good at being a lone ranger, uh, you know, sitting on the bench for 15 years. I was, um, <laughs> you know, very good at that. And right going to Montana those first couple years by myself and, you know, like kind of forging a new path. I I love that. Uh, But now this is something much bigger. And I I know that I need to have partners and uh, different groups to help and support what this is all about. And uh, I've had to think differently about how this is all going to happen. So I'm looking at partnerships and I'm looking at uh, ways of, of, developing income streams on a variety of different levels, uh, membership right. sites, uh, uh, promotional things that you, you know, organizations that you can promote, uh, uh their product, uh, you can take a, a, uh, an equity stake in that you can, you know, there's different, um, uh, marketing organizations that you know will will pay you for referrals and so figuring out how to make all of that happen in a in an ethical way you want to be upfront about hey i'm i'm representing this brand and i believe in them and so building trust and and uh, allowing them the opportunity to to end up purchasing and uh having influence over what people, where they choose to spend their money. Uh, this is, this is the route that I'm taking with it. So I'm not there yet. I, I would love for you to invite me back in a year from now. And I could tell you about all the good deals that I've put together, but it's happening. It's, it's all coming together.
1: That's awesome. I mean, I, I love watching you go from Montana to what you're doing. And, and I have watched a few of your, your, you, I think it's in YouTube. I watched them on LinkedIn, but I think, I believe it takes me to YouTube. And the the last one especially was really good. I was, that kept my attention for the whole hour long. And and that's amazing that you're doing once a day. You know, that's, that's a lot of work, a lot of content creation.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't know quite, I didn't quite know what I was getting into, uh, with, with that. And, uh, and that's where, uh, so it's been six weeks that I've really been doing it on this, uh, once, uh, you know, every day or five days a week basis. And I, um, it's become obvious that I need, I need to build a team to make this all come together. And there's parts that I'm really good at and I really like, and then there's parts that I need to have, you know, team to help make it all happen because there's just too much to do it so it fortunately spirituality gone wild is a a wonderful place for me to be connected with because uh they are putting in some things in place that can make it easier for me and all i have to do is you know worry about you know my particular show but there's other shows and then that's all going to feed off of each other and help grow this uh uh this idea. So, and I love the idea of spirituality uh, from the quantum point of view, from the science point of view, where science is catching up with the idea that our thoughts are so important in the way they, you know, influence our body and the way our soul. So, there's a lot of people, um, Joe Dispenza, Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, I've become a disciple of, of those that mind of thinking in terms of how science and spirituality are are really connecting together. And uh, that's where I have the interest. What's funny uh, is I didn't feel like I was ready to be a teacher uh, in that area. I've been a student. And so being the host and interviewing people, I don't have to have expertise with it but I'm learning all these things and I'm you know I know enough and I'm learning more and so I get to interview people who are are really working more deeply in the fields and the disciplines than I am so that's kind of the fun
1: part of it awesome okay I'm going to take you into a few of the questions that I like to ask all my guests and with your experience I you have to have a lot of good stuff to share (laughs) <laughs> this comes from a Tim Ferriss book. It's the Tribe of Mentors, and he asked a bunch of questions to different huge people, you know, well-known people. the The question that I pull that I like the best out of this book is: We can't have just success after success after success. Failure is going to happen if you're if you're trying anything. Failure is going to happen. What is your biggest failure? where you learn the most and what did you learn? Because if you failed at something and you learned something, then it's really not a failure, right? Because yeah, it, was a, it was a learning experience.
0: Yeah, yeah it's, it's a pretty easy thing. Going to Montana uh, was uh, both the biggest failure and the biggest success that I had. And it, and it was a failure because I, I had one idea of how it was going to work out. And right from the get-go, uh, it, it it was falling apart. And uh, the real estate crash of 2008, uh, you know, was, was a big piece of that falling apart. Uh, and so everything I had dreamed about didn't come true in terms of going to Montana. But what happened was my dream ended up changing and it even changed before I got there uh, because I didn't have any intention of developing a speaking business and making somehow being you know influential and somehow going out and creating a worldwide gumption movement. That was not at all part of the dream. I was going to be like a gentleman rancher or something like that in uh, in Montana and have a little piece of land with a with a couple of barns and and some wood shop like some shops and woodworking tools and and and. So I ended up with all this stuff that never got used, and I ended up with uh, properties that that ended up disappearing in front of me. And I and I developed a real, a real like try to hold on to thing mindset. And I finally had to let everything go, and I I got rid of all the things that I had, and and it felt like I was failing by getting rid of them. But what I was really doing was. I was releasing all of these old dreams that weren't going to happen anyway because I didn't have any interest in fulfilling them. And when I finally let them all go, I kind of like wiped the slate clean and I was then free to go out and do this American Gumption Project. And so when I arrived, I'm staying with family uh, uh, since I got here last October. And when I arrived here, I was like a blank slate. I had, I had like very little, other than some emotional baggage, res- residue, residue <laughs> left over, uh, and, and I took some time and I cleaned all of that out. And so now when I'm out there starting this new project, I'm, I have very, very, very little baggage left. Uh, whereas like two years ago, I still had a lot of baggage that I just didn't know what to do with. And it, and it really became like an albatross holding me back, uh, or an anchor holding me back. And, and so I knew I had to get rid of them. And ultimately I ended up, uh, Leaving the NSA chapter, uh, that was one of the things that I was involved with uh, the leadership over the years. And I thought, gee, why am I involved with this? This is no longer, you know, serving, you know, my needs. And so I let that go. I let some other obligations that I had that I was involved with in, in the community for 10 years. And suddenly it was like, Hey, it's time. I, I served for 10 years. I don't need to serve. any So I got rid of some obligations initially, and then I got rid of the physical stuff. And so that was the biggest success that I had is learning to let go of it and realizing that none of that ultimately mattered or was important. And yet it felt important at the time.
1: Right. That is very interesting. Cause you grew up in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Then you went out to California and there for then,
0: 27 years and then t- about 12 years in Montana.
1: And so your initial dream of Montana was you were going to be a, a rancher, farmer, woodcrafter, something like that.
0: Yeah. And I had some properties. I was going to be a property manager and, you know, I had, I mean, you know, I was just going to kind of do, just kind of take care of different things, you know, have my wood shop and have my properties and, you know, and, you know, I, I, and I grew up working with tools. My father was a, a tradesman and he taught me and I learned how to use them. and I loved using tools and I, I did some woodworking. And, and so I had this dream. So the woodworking is a great dream. I started that when I was 18, 19. I ended up taking classes in the evening, had an instructor, loved the tools like the big, you know, joiners and shapers. And, you know, I loved all that. And I, and I wanted to have a, a wood shop. And so I collected and collected and collected and collected. I hold them all to Montana, and I never set them up and used them. They just sat there for years, and I finally ended up getting rid of them. And I said, I could get rid of half of them, and, and it would be okay. And I started with that. And then once I started the process of getting rid of them, I realized how good it felt and how freeing it felt to be getting rid of them and, and letting go of it and, and admitting that just because I had a dream that was 40 years old I didn't have to hold on to it anymore. You know, it's like, because right. you feel like, oh, I'm a failure. I, uh, I'm, I'm a quitter if I give this up.
1: Well, and this may be a little bit different, but one of the things that I cover is when to say uncle, you know, you have yeah. a dream and I, we talked before we got on this and started recording about my goal. My goal from probably 15, 16 was to be an FBI agent chasing serial killers. That's I wanted to be a part of the BAU and just really pro, be a profiler and chase serial killers. That's what I wanted to do. And it got blown up and I just kind of was like, I was devastated. Yeah. But from that, I've led a pretty good life of just being aware of the opportunities and being prepared to to pick up the feather per se. You know, being prepared yeah. to take advantage of those opportunities. And And if I would have hung on to the dream of a serial killer, not a serial killer. I guess I didn't really want to be the serial killer. I wanted to chase them. <laughs> if I would have hung on to that, I, I, who knows? You know, I would have been probably doing something that I really didn't want to do, but it was settling for that because I couldn't have the, the big thing. Now I've kind of been doing lots of things that I love to do, you know, taking the commercial bungee jump to Japan and just not having the real job thing because I was able to let things go. But I think that's an important yeah. part of, of knowing when to say uncle. You know, when is enough enough? Yeah,
0: yeah. and just because you, you make a dream doesn't mean you have to – I mean, we, we, we grow up with that, that work ethic and that, you know, don't quit. Don't just keep going no matter how long it takes. Well, what if it, what if it's not what you want to do anymore and you're still hanging on to it? And that's really kind of what I had to finally admit to myself. I didn't have any interest in, in doing, you know, working with these tools. I loved all those tools, but I had no interest in doing that. Physically, right. it wasn't fun to do it anymore. So, uh, but, but interacting with people and storytelling is a lot that I like doing. And so, so now I'm doing that and I'm free to do that where I really, when I was trying to hold on to that, I didn't have, feel like I had that freedom.
1: Right. I, I get it. Okay, next question. Let's flip that. What is your biggest success and what did you learn? Because I believe if you can reproduce the, the things that you learn from succeeding, you can reproduce success.
0: So, I think, um, I think the, the day that I heard that the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company was going to open up and I just knew that I had to at least call them up and to do what I had talked about doing I thought was in jest, but I had so many times that I'm going to make some money off of it. And it wasn't like I even wanted to necessarily go make a lot of money. I just wanted to go fulfill like, like the fact that I had said, that I was going to do this. And, and so then suddenly the opportunity was in front of me. The same thing happened with the American Gumption Morning Show that started at the beginning of August. I uh, met Debbie G, the founder of Spirituality Gone Wild, on, on July 7, the day that I launched my website. Now, her and I did not meet with anything to do with the website being launched. So it just was a coincidence that on the day that I launched my website, her and I meet, she doesn't even know I'm launching a website. We talk about it. I tell her what I'm doing. And she's like, you got to come see what we're doing on spirituality going wild. I thought she wanted me to interview me on her show. And (laughs) uh, within three days, like we're talking about me doing a show. And, you know, three weeks later, I, I'm starting the show. So there was no time to stop and think about, like, am I ready to do this? I just, you just thing happened back in uh, 1996. There was no time to think about whether I should actually call the public company or not. It was like, I have to do this. Like, and I have to do it in the next day or two. And, and I did, you know, you can't just be impulsive and do anything, but when you, preparing to do something and you're working and then when the right opportunity comes you know you better seize it because uh it's not going to come around again and and just follow your instinct and and that's maybe that's the lesson follow your instinct follow your heart and over the years i listened to lots of experts and when i was in the uh the 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 part where I was getting my training and figuring out what my message was with NSA, I listened to an awful lot of people. I listened to so many people that I confused myself and I had to stop listening to people and start listening to my, my own heart and my own self in order to finally figure it out. And so I would say the lesson is, is to learn how to listen to your own heart and your own instincts because they're actually good. They know. And yeah. uh, you know, do your homework, but then, you know, follow your heart.
1: Yep, uh, good good advice. I really like that. Okay, let's go to. Do you read much? Ah, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> G- giving up my books was the hardest part about leaving Montana. <laughs> so what is? Yeah, I, got of, uh, I got rid of books for seventy dollars from a book dealer. All gone, wow. and I ended up with like like twenty books or something like that. So and now I've I've already doubled my inventory since I got here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what is the book that has been the most life changing to you? One or two, you don't have to narrow it to one, one or two.
0: Of course they change over the, uh, you know, they, they, they change over, over time and, uh, I mean, the, the I kept one book from my childhood, and that was The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe, and and uh, I, I was given that as a gift from my parents for Christmas, and it came with like a cover and a sleeve, and, and it put it in, like it was like a hardback book, but it went into a, a cardboard case, and that was one of the 20 or so books that I kept, just because that was left over from my childhood. Uh, you know I, I tried to read it a couple of years ago and it seemed kind of silly and i i wasn't very interested in it but it, that the, the the idea of adventure the idea of like robinson crusoe getting stuck on the island and being in, in, ingenious the way he learned to survive and then you know eventually of course you know getting off the island and i think that's a a good lesson for life um more recently though um uh you know Joe Dispenza is the guy that, Dr. Joe is the guy who's influenced me the most uh, in terms of, uh, you know, you're not the placebo, you know, uh, or you are the placebo and how your thoughts uh, end up creating, you know, exactly what you, you do. So I've tried to become very conscious of my, my thinking and writing. And so much so that I, I've i been journaling for years, I will go back and correct my journal, not like, like, now I go through on a daily basis and I write, and I, I correct negative thoughts in my writing, <laughs> because I don't even want to, you know, allow them to, you know, be written down. And I, and I, I flip things around. If I just have a stream of consciousness, and it comes out kind of a, a negative, I try to, you know, massage it and make it uh, into a more positive way of viewing things.
1: So. Gotcha. All right. Some pretty good stuff there. I, I have not uh, read much of Joe Dispenza or any of Joe Dispenza. I'll have to go look him up to see. Do you have a, a particular book or is there just one book or,
0: uh, well, there's several, but you are the placebo is a great book to start out with. And, and it just talks about the medical, uh, science part of how your thoughts affect, what happens with your body and, uh, and how the body ultimately kind of, you know, the body runs the self-conscious. Gotcha. And uh, so, so that has been real helpful to me.
1: Like it. How can people connect with you? What's the best way for people to connect with you?
0: Yeah. AmericanGumption.com is my website and, um, or you can find me for YouTube uh, under American gumption. So American gumption is the easiest way to, to track okay. me down
1: i 'll put that in the show notes, and everybody can connect with you and and say hi and get some of your gumption your gumption principles <laughs> so I want to ask you one last question it 's one that I ask a lot is for someone who is has an idea who is on the fence we in these times we have a lot of people who have been disrupted with the with the coronavirus and things they may have an idea to to improve their financial situation if they were just to act on it, but their fear, something's holding them back. What would be your best advice to help them get off the fence, to help them get started? Yeah.
0: I, well, I'm going to, I'm going to relate it to the, the Forrest Gump feather. The, the opportunity is sitting there in front of you. Uh, but, but we we also have old opportunities or in my case, like, like a, A building full of tools that we've been holding on to that are, you know, really an old dream that we don't want to fulfill on any longer. So so my question would be to people, uh, ask them, what is the feather that you're holding on to that you can let go of so that you can pick up the feather that's sitting in front of you and what is that feather that you need to let go of? And what is that feather that you see sitting right there on the ground? And I would say in nine out of 10 cases, people know, uh, they know the answer almost instantly to both of those, those questions. So, so what is the one thing you, you, that you need to let go of? Because it's just not serving you any longer. And what's the one thing that's, that's sitting there? And if you think about it like, well, if I get rid of this, I can pick up this, then maybe it'll be easier to, to act on it. And, and so give yourself permission to let go of the the thing you've been holding on to. And, um, and you, but you, it just doesn't serve you any longer. So that would be my advice. And then you have, once you let go of that one, you, you can pick up the other one.
1: <laughs> you can't pick them both up. No. <laughs> no, no. It's like you know, the monkey that filled. reached. It's like the monkey that reaches in to grab the nuts but he can't get the nuts unless he lets them go or however that goes. That's, hey. that's right. That's right. You know, thanks for for spending time with us today. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to do a little bit of Forrest Gump for me.
0: What uh what's one of your favorite scenes uh Bart from the movie? What do you, what what scene is memorable for you and in-
1: Well, the problem is it's going to be the one that's probably memorable to everybody, and that's the sitting on the bench with the box of chocolates.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Those look like comfortable shoes. I'll bet you could wear shoes like that all day and not feel a thing. And the woman replies, my feet hurt. Forrest doesn't miss a beat. He just keeps on going. My mama always said life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh thanks so much steve i appreciate your time i appreciate your input that you shared with our audience i know it's gonna help somebody out there and everybody well, I else think
0: what go ahead i think what you're doing in in monetize your mindset is really the the key if you if we try to if we try to monetize our business without having the right mindset then it's not going to work uh And so really it's the mindset that is the most important thing. And, and I love the way that you talk about multiple streams of income that you talk about, uh, passive income. Uh, and and this is really the the goal that I want to have in my life is so I want to have fun interacting and be being creative with people and, and letting, you know, letting, shining a light on them. Uh, but I also know that I need to figure out a way that, there can be income coming from that because it's, I'm offering value to people and they want to be part of the community. And then you can also influence and uh, create revenue streams by, by influencing and helping others. And, of course, you need to do this all with integrity. Um, and so I just think that what you're teaching is uh, very, very important, and, and I congratulate you for doing that.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, this, type, this type of stuff is fun you know, interviewing people, talking with people, interacting, like you said, it's just fun. And if you can make money having fun, that's, that's just a bonus. That's a big bonus. Exactly. All right, everybody. All right, everybody. Until next time, go monetize it.
2: Thanks for listening to the monetize your mindset Podcast. podcast to identify your ideal side hustle. Go to youridealsidehustle.com. Here, take a deep dive into what you like to do, what you need to do, what you're already doing, and then ask, how can I monetize it? Come on back next week for more on how to create financial security so you can deal with whatever happens when whatever happens happens. Because it will happen.